0: Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 25 today, as we continue to work our way through the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 30. 1 through 30 this morning. And the title of the message today is Assurance of Preparation. Assurance of Preparation. Like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was the land, they all became drowsy and slept. And at midnight there was a cry Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, For you do not know neither the day nor the hour. For it be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. One he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went out and at once traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I am, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scatter no seed." For everyone who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading and the proclamation of His Word. Well, we've been looking at Matthew 24 and 25 for a couple of, uh, for the last couple of weeks. And uh, we've been thinking of the topic of preparation. What does it mean to be prepared for Jesus to return, and how to be prepared for death whenever that might come? How can we know if we are truly prepared uh, prepared for these things? Now, being prepared does not mean a couple things. It doesn't mean we don't have any fears about the future or fears about dying or death. Um, Being prepared is not based on some some subjective feeling that may come and go. Our emotions come and go, don't they? At times there's great fear as we think about these things. And at other times we have a sense of peace. But God does not want us to wonder if we're prepared by simply relying on emotions. He doesn't want us to, to rely on our emotion. He doesn't want us to wonder if we're prepared. God wants us to have an assurance of our preparation for Christ's return. He wants us to have a pure assurance of uh, preparation if we would die today. The Apostle John in the, in the, in the, in the letter to uh, First John wrote about these things. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he talks a lot about assurance. How can you, how can you know that you're right with God? How can you know that, uh, that you know Him and, and are living for Him? And he helps us to see that we're prepared, first of all, we're prepared for Jesus' coming as we walk in the light and we continually confess our sin. Now being prepared for Jesus' coming doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It just means we're aware of it when we do and we, and we ask God's forgiveness when we realize we've sinned. And so walking in the light helps us to see more and more how our lives need to be changed, uh, the, the things that come into our lives that shouldn't be there. Um, And so, we walk in the light and we confess our sin. Uh, John also wrote that being prepared means loving others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we don't love our brothers, we're not prepared, basically, John is telling us. And so, uh, to love is a sign that we are prepared for Christ to come. John tells us that being prepared means believing that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He came uh, to die on the cross physically uh, uh uh and shed his blood and then and then conquer death <coughs> conquer death by rising from the grave physically and bodily never to die again you see in the in the book of first john he gives us uh, the assurances that we need <coughs> to know we're prepared and he writes this verse and it's pretty probably the most simple verse that we can know to think about Us being ready, us being prepared to meet God. And it says this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It's as simple as that. If you have Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in the Jesus who died for you and rose again, uh, you have life. And if you don't have him, you don't have life. And God wants us to know that. He wants us to be assured. He doesn't want us to live in fear of whether we're right with him or not. Because if we believe in Jesus, Jesus' righteousness is counted to us in our place. And Jesus' righteousness is what God sees as he looks at those who believe. Now, these two parables in Matthew 25 continue this theme of preparation. And they emphasize a couple things. First of all, uh, I skipped something. (laughs) Anyway, first of all, it emphasizes that prepared believers are truly prepared for the Master to come and not just assuming they're prepared. Now, Jesus tells us that being prepared for him to come will be like ten virgins, ten bridesmaids waiting for a wedding. Uh, the Cultural Reference Bible says this, On the evening of the wedding in that ancient world, the bride and the bridesmaid would wait at the bride's parents' home. The groom would then come with his entourage to escort the bride and her entourage with music and dancing to the site of the wedding. Because the exact timing was unpredictable given the many preparations, the bridesmaids needed to stay ready. And so, on this night, the attendants and those in the wedding party would wait outside the home of the bride's parents for the groom to come from his home and take his bride and escort her back to his home. They didn't know when he would come, and so they had to be prepared. And they would be prepared to kind of provide light, kind of a parade back to the groom's home. And and then they would enter the groom's home, and the wedding was not just some couple-hour thing. It was a week-long celebration. It was a week-long party, that, the, that those invited to would, uh, would uh, be involved with. And so Jesus said there were five wise and five foolish bridesmaids. The only way to know who were the wise and who were the foolish was their preparation. The wise bridesmaids brought the oil they needed to light their torches whenever the bridegroom might come. The foolish bridesmaids did not bring the oil they needed to keep their torches lit, but simply just brought their torches without making sure they had enough oil. Well, the bridegroom delayed for quite some time, and all the bridesmaids grew drowsy, and all ten of them fell asleep. But at at, uh, midnight, it says, the cry rang out, The bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And so the 10 bridesmaids started preparing their torches, their lamps to light this parade back to his home when he would would get his bride and take her there. Each of the maidens had to trim their lamps. Uh you know, to cut off the the part that had been burned. We don't really do that in our day anymore, but uh, you trim your lamps, you you get rid of the burned part. And you'd make sure you had enough oil that that the that the lamps would stay lit during the time ...of the procession from the bride's home to the bride... ...to, to the home of her, uh, of her new husband. That was when the foolish bridesmaids discovered... ...that their torches would not stay lit... ...because they did not bring enough oil. They were not prepared. I want you to notice something about the bridesmaids here. The five wives made sure they were prepared when the bridegroom came... The foolish bridesmaids just assumed they were prepared. now they all looked alike. They were all bridesmaids they they were they were in bridesmaid clothing they were seemingly friends of the bride. by looking at them you couldn 't tell who was prepared and who was not prepared it's a it 's a picture of the visible church today it 's a picture of the visible church all around our world and even local churches uh <clears throat> People go to church and seemingly do religious things that indicate preparation to meet Jesus. But in reality, they're not truly prepared. They're not truly prepared. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Jesus is not a part of their lives Monday through uh, Monday through Sunday. But they just nod to him when they come to worship with others. Uh, they don't really believe in Jesus. Jesus is not their life. He's not the one they live for they're relying on themselves and their works but they'll find out that their that that their works their good deeds do not prepare them to meet Jesus their lamps will go out they look just like the wise but they they were not prepared you see hanging around believers does not make you a believer hanging around church people going to church does not make you a christian a friend of mine used to say uh, just because you go to McDonald's doesn't mean you're a cheeseburger, right? A, a bad analogy, but, but hanging out with people who are Christians does not make you a Christian. You have to personally respond and believe in Jesus. You have to personally love him and live for him. Uh, when the bridegroom came, these foolish bridegrooms realized they had no oil for their lamps. So what did they do? They tried to borrow the oil of others. Well, the wise uh, bridesmaids said, uh, there will not be enough for us and you. You have to go to the dealers and buy some fun yourself, for yourself. Now, it's not that these uh, bridesmaids were selfish, but see, they, they, their job was to light the parade uh, from, the, from the bride's house to the, to the bridegroom's uh, house. And if they gave oil from their supply to these foolish ones all the lights would be out. All the lights would be out. And the bride and groom would be humiliated. Now what's, what's, what's the point of this kind of side in this story? The point is, no one can make preparations for you to meet the Lord but you. These five uh, wise bridesmaids could not prepare the five foolish bridesmaids to meet the Lord, <coughs> to be ready for His coming. You can't live on the preparation of others in order that you will you will be with Jesus. Uh, you can't borrow it from anyone else. You can't borrow it from your mom or your dad or your grandma or your wife or your husband or your sister or your brothers or your parents. You can't borrow that from those you might you might attend church with weekly. You have to be prepared. Each of us has to be prepared. And the five foolish bridesmaids were not prepared. The scripture says, while they were out buying, the bridegroom and bride came. He led the procession back to his home and he shut the door on the wedding feast. When the foolish bridesmaid returned, they were not allowed to enter. They cried out, Lord, Lord, open to us. They thought they had the magic formula for entry. You know, this, this phrase is often used. Lord, Lord, of people who... Who uh, profess faith in uh, who can who who profess faith in Jesus but don't actually have faith in Jesus? They think by saying the right words. But Jesus, and and this is a picture of Jesus lying people in kingdom. The groom replied, "What did he say? I don't know you. I do not know you. He didn't say I once knew you." And I don't know anymore. It's not trying to say you have to earn your salvation. Or you have to keep it or hold on to it. He's saying they weren't ever prepared to meet the Lord. He does not know them. You see, when Jesus comes, when death comes, it's too late to prepare. It's too late to prepare. The time to prepare is right now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You realize some things in life we don't get a do over on. Some things in life you have to be ready before they happen. Um, make sure you are truly trusting in Christ with your life. Don't assume it uh, because you do religious things or because you hang around Christians. Make sure that your faith is in Jesus, that you are ready to meet Him. It's simple. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing complicated about it. But I can't do that for you and you can't do that for me. Do you believe, have you trusted Jesus with your life? And are you living for him? Now don't tell me when I was six years old, I prayed a prayer and I'm, I'm fine. If you don't want to live for the Lord today, you better ask yourself yourself, Did you really come to Christ at that time? Because part of being a Christian not only means that you believe in Jesus, but you want to live for Him every day. Now, we all stray. There have been times in my life that I didn't want to live for the Lord. But I want to tell you, the Lord makes you miserable if you're His and you don't want to live for Him. He draws you back to Himself. Because He's not going to just continually let His children just go the way they want to go. And if someone continues to go the way they want to go... And they don't seem to be drawn back to the Lord to live the way he wants them to live. You have to wonder whether they truly know Jesus or not. Prepared believers are truly prepared for the master to come. And not just assuming they're prepared. Well there's a second principle. Uh, uh, that um, Another way to think about how to make sure you're prepared in Christ. And it's this. Believers Love the master and use what he has entrusted to them for the advancement of his kingdom. Prepared believers love the master and use what he has entrusted to them for the advancement of his kingdom. In the second parable, there's a man who's going away on a journey. And he entrusts his servants with his assets, his property, his money. He calls three of his servants in and gives each one a different amounts to invest while he's gone. He gives one five talents, he gives one another two talents, and he gives another one talent. A talent was uh, a measure uh, of wealth. It, it, was a, it was a basic uh, coinage. It, it was like a bar of gold, basically. Something like that. So he gives one five talents, another two talents, and another one talent. Each one is given what he or she has the ability to deal with. Now, he didn't give the five talents person the two talents <clears throat> he didn't give the one talent person the five talents he didn't give the two, uh, the two talent persons five talents he knew them individually and he gave them uh, he gave them what they could handle with of course with his help as we're talking about the Lord you know um, the master knew them individually and he left with each of them the appropriate amount but I want you to understand something. None of them was given kind of a pittance. A talent was not a pittance. It wasn't just a few coins. A talent was quite a bit of money. Many months and maybe years of wealth. So he gave them, um, he entrusted them with things that they should use uh, to advance his agenda. To profit him. Well, the person entrusted with five talents immediately went out and made five talents more. He was industrious. He, uh, he was motivated. He went out with those talents and he made five talents more. <coughs> the one with two talents also put his two talents to work and he made two more. Both of them were eager to put the master's money to work. Both desired to please the master. But the person given the one went out and dug a hole in the ground and played it safe and hid his master's money. Why did he do that? Well, he said he was afraid, but was he? Was he afraid of the master? Not when the master talks to him. he doesn't. He, the master didn't seem to think he was really afraid of him or he would have done something different than hide the money. Maybe he was afraid himself. He just... He just uh, didn't want to believe that the master would actually entrust him with, with something. And, you know, fear often stops us from doing the things that we need to do. Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he thought, well, the others got two. One guy got five. I got one. You know, maybe he's going to show the master, you know, uh, you know, you can't treat me like this, however it was. But he hid the money He had the money instead of using it uh, to profit the master. Then the scripture says, after a long time. You know, we're talking about the Lord's coming and we're talking about preparation for death. And the Lord wants us to understand it could be a long time. We don't know when he's coming back. We just know that he is coming back. And so we just have to be faithful no matter how long it is. After a long time, uh, the master came back and settled accounts. The one who had been entrusted with five talents was happy to share with his master the news he'd made five more talents. The servant had put the talents he was entrusted with to good use. (coughs) The one who had two talents had made two more talents with his, uh, what had been entrusted to him. Even though they had different abilities, they put their abilities to work and they both made a profit. Uh... They trusted the master enough. They were willing to risk the master. They were willing to risk the master. They didn't just play it safe. Um, they loved him. They wanted to be useful and pleasing to him. And what was the master's response to both of those men? Whether that, the one that gained more because he'd been entrusted with more. Or the one that gained less because he'd been trusted with less. But both of them were faithful. He said to them both the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, I will set you over much. <coughs> then he invited them to enter his joy, to come to his party. They loved the master, trusted the master, and used what he entrusted to them for his profit and for his glory. But then the third servant came in to settle accounts. And how did he begin this time? He began with an accusation against the master. Master, I knew you to be a harsh a hard man, a, a, an ungenerous man, a stern man, a grasping man. He accused the master. Was he right? Did this master seem harsh or ungenerous? Did not this master entrust him with a lot, a lot of his, uh, his resources to invest? He doesn't seem like a hard master from the outside. He then said the master reaped where he did not sow and gather where he had not scattered seed." He accused the master in a horrible accusation against the master. He didn't love or trust his master. He accused him. And then he said, I buried your talent in the ground. Here it is. Return to you as you gave it to me. He played it safe. Uh, He played it safe. He did nothing with the resources the master had entrusted to him. He he thought pleasing the master. (coughs) Excuse me. Pleasing the master simply meant not messing anything up. That's what he thought it meant to please the master. He didn't bless anyone. He didn't profit anyone. He didn't help anyone. He didn't care for the master's priorities. He didn't care about pleasing the master or the master profiting from his labor and his ingenuity. He hid his master's talent. And what did he do? He lived for himself. He just buried it and did whatever he wanted to do. You see, the man didn't know the master at all, did he? Well, the master used this man's words against him. He called this man wicked and worthless. If he really feared the master, if he really thought he reaped where he didn't sow and gathered where he scattered no seed, he should at least taken the, 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 the talent to the bankers and earn interest on it. The master said, after this, take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. Because the one with ten talents is going to put it to use. He's going to use it. He says the one who has will be given more. The one who wastes what he has. Even what he has will be taken away from him. <coughs> you know, oftentimes we look with envy on what others have. Instead of just being faithful with what we have. With what God has entrusted to us. You know, it's easy to look. At others and see their blessings or, or see how they prospered or succeeded, and then look at our own lives and, uh, and be jealous and be envious. But that's not how God wants us to live, is it? You see, I shouldn't be jealous of the guy that, that the Lord's made a pastor of uh, 2000 just because, because I'm the pastor of, of this congregation. That's not what God called me to do, He entrusted me with you. And what I have to do is be faithful in loving you and pointing you to Christ and teaching you God's word. It's the same way with you. Whatever God's given you, if you're going to look at other people and, and compare yourself to them, you're always going to be unhappy. But just be faithful with whatever God has given you with, whatever he's entrusted to you. Then the master pronounced sentence on this one, cast this worthless servant's. Out into outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's, that's not nice, is it? He, he accused the master of being harsh and hard. And even though the master wasn't, that's what the master kind of became to him. Now what was the difference between the two faithful servants and the one unfaithful servant? What was it? The difference was in how they viewed the master. Right? Two of them loved the master and wanted to please the master. They trusted the master. They were willing to take risk to serve the master. You know, if you thought about this, if you, if you invested wrongly, you could have lost the money. Do you trust... Did, did they trust the master enough to possibly fail in what he'd entrusted to him. You know, part of being a believer is knowing that sometimes your greatest plans aren't going to work. You are going to blow it. But God still doesn't want you to play it safe. He'll even use your failures to glorify himself. And, and, and if you're faithful to him and use what you have in him, even if it doesn't go what you, the way you think it ought to go, somehow I think in God's Agenda and his economy, it's still profit to you because you were faithful. You were faithful. You see, they loved the master. They wanted to please the master. But the unfaithful servant, he didn't love the master. He didn't. He didn't care about pleasing the master. His master's agenda was not carried out. He accused the master of evil motives, and he used this as as a motive for being lazy and for living a worthless life you know people today accuse God of all kinds of evil they think he does not love them they believe he's harsh Uh, you know you you say to them God already proved his love for you because Christ died for you and they say I don't need that they see God as the problem instead of seeing themselves as the problem They don't want the joy of the Lord or fellowship or friendship of the Lord. They play it safe. They think pleasing God is simply not doing evil instead of doing good. They don't actively serve God or others. They don't seek in Jesus' name to make a difference in the world. They don't seek to glorify God. They wind up outside of God's grace and love in the place of outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, they don't see God as He really is. See, do you see God as He really is? Do you see a God who who your, your relationship with Him was so important that Jesus died for you? That's the true God of the Bible. He's holy and just and He will judge sin, but I want to tell you, He already did. Jesus took the judgment that you and I deserve. He died in our place. He took it so that we would not have to be judged and we could stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. You see, prepared believers love the Master and they use what He's entrusted them for the advancement of His kingdom. See, I want you to know God wants you to be prepared to Him and and He wants you to have an assurance of that preparation. If you've received Jesus into your life, you trusted Him, you're prepared as as you love him and you're seeking to use what he's entrusted to you for his glory, you're prepared. You are prepared if you're if you believe and are trusting in him. If when you mess up, you wish I wish I hadn't have messed up, that's also a sign of preparation. Because if you don't love God, you don't care if you mess up, right? You say I don't love him like I should, my service to him is imperfect. But even that's a sign that you love God because you want it to be better, you want it to be what it should be. Despite you know, we look at the life of Peter, and I I love his story about Peter after he denied the Lord, he's on the he's he's out there fishing. And, you know, he meets his apostles, Jesus feeds them, there's a miraculous catch. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says it three times, kind of remind him of how you messed up three times. And, and, and finally, he, Jesus, Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. He said that twice. And the third time he was hurt, because the Lord asked him the third time, and he said, Lord, you know all things, you know That I love you. You see that's us isn't it? We mess up. We don't don't live the way we should. But we can say to the Lord. Lord I don't love you like I should. But Lord you know I love you. You know I love you. And the Lord does know that we love him. Yes I want to love him better. I want to love Him better today than I did yesterday. I want to be more faithful to Him. But you see, that's all a sign that I belong to the Lord because if I didn't, I wouldn't care. You know you believe in Jesus. You're trusting Him with your life. You have Jesus, the Son of God, in your life. So you have eternal life. Loving Jesus and seeking to glorify Him continually reveals that you're truly prepared To meet him face to face. If you're not prepared, you can become prepared today. You can receive Jesus in your life. You can invite him to save you and be your Lord and Savior. I can't do that for you. Your mama can't do that for you. You have to give your life to Jesus. You have to personally receive him and believe in him. Have you done that today? I pray that you have. And if you haven't, I pray that today would be the day that you give your life to Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your, your love. I thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that eternal life is not based on, on us, but it's based on you and all you did for us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that because you did this for us, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, we know we don't love you like we should. We want to love you better. So help us to do that. Help us to be motivated to live for your glory and to serve you and to see your kingdom expand, Lord, through, through our great giftedness or through our, through our not so great giftedness. Lord, just use us that we can make a difference and help others to know that you love them and that they need you. Work in lives and do what only you can do.